What up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown, and a happy Monday to you and yours. Hope this podcast finds you well. My name is Jake Burns, host of this show, and we are going to jump into what is going to be a continual thing if you're new to this show, which is our comprehensive breakdown on both sides of the football. We do them after the game. Now, Friday game, weekend, it's kind of tough to get everything put together. Uh, not a normal thing on a Friday. We'll get a little better at that as the season goes on. You know, if you have paid attention, it is a day after process to the next two days where we do our comprehensive breakdown on both sides of the ball. You get some stats spit back at you. You get some data analysis on things I've seen. And then we talk about player performance as well. So reminder, this is from your 24-13. Browns went over the Jags on Friday night. And I should say before we move too quick, into the offense review, we had some great stuff go up over the weekend over on the website. If you have not checked those out, particularly Corey Kennan wrote an article on shopping for wide receivers around the league, because as we know, with the struggles of Anthony Schwartz, which we will talk about here in a minute, you're starting to look at, OK, is there a solution out there across the league where we can figure some things out? Because we don't feel totally comfortable with the process we've seen from Schwartz and you know, it starts to just make you a little bit nervous about the depth of this group, especially when you want to run as much 11 personnel as you would like to see the Browns run, right? You know, if you're running 11 personnel on a high volume of snaps, such as this game where it was their most often used grouping, and you deal with injuries and, and fatigue throughout games, so on and so forth, you need to be better. So, we took the opportunity to, um, you know, look at some wide receivers around the league, some guys who could be cut or potential trade candidates. So go check that out. As for the game, reminder, you got some of these basic stats on Saturday's recap podcast, but the Browns went for 254 yards. They ran 52 plays. They had seven penalties, sorry, five penalties. So technically they lined up and ran 57 plays, but there were there were uh, some some issues with penalties, as we know. They had 11 of those penalties on the day. They ran for 83 yards, 4.9 yards per carry, and then they threw the football for 171 yards collectively between primarily Josh Jobs and Josh Rosen, as Deshaun Watson was very briefly in, and there was not much passing success for the first group, really not much success at all for the first group. They turned it over twice. Um, you know, we know that one of those... Uh, turnovers. Uh, both of those turnovers were fumble-related. Two running back fumbles. We'll talk about those in a minute as well. But they scored three touchdowns, kicked a field goal, and had the football 27 minutes. The 4 of 12, third down, not surprising, is preseason. But let's dig into the data, okay? So they come out. If you talk personnel groupings, you probably heard me talk about these things. Personnel groupings tell you a little bit about how you want to run your offense. They tell you uh, which guys you favor, which which uh, which groupings you want the defense to be in as a response to what you're in offensively, and it just tells you how you want to run your overall offense, schemes you can run based on body uh, body types, so on and so forth. These numbers are based on again, you know, if you if you follow football, you know, you get five down linemen and a quarterback, that's six, and then you got to account for five other players. So these numbers help you account for those five other players uh, every time. The first number is the number of running backs. The second number is the number of tight ends. And then whatever doesn't equal that is how many, you know, whatever isn't there is the number added up for, you know, wide receivers to get to five. So if it's 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, that equals two, obviously. That means there's three numbers left. That means we have three wide receivers. So 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end. Browns were among the bottom three usage of this in the NFL last year. 18 snaps of 52, okay? 
Actually, we're going to list these as 57. We'll include the penalties in here as well, just because they were going to use those groupings as well. 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. That means two receivers are left on the field. They ran that 14 snaps, which again, I think will be a higher uptick usage this year for them. So they're they're not likely to carry a fullback. We don't think Johnny Stanton's going to be there, but based on the usage, and 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 this could be tied to, I got to be clear, preseason, you don't want to give anything away. You really want to play basic, and my, let me tell you, the Browns played as basic as possible, and I'll talk about that here in a minute. But with the basic nature of things, I am intrigued by using the fullback so it's a bit misleading. The, the The system I use recognizes Demetric Felton as a running back. He's clearly not a running back. He plays receiver more than anywhere else. He does not align in the backfield. I hope that gets rectified. So while I have eight snaps of 22 personnel, which is technically two tight ends and two backs, that's not necessarily true. And I have 21 personnel for 17 snaps. And again, not necessarily true meaning they're counting Felton as a running back. You look at the snaps uh, at fullback, you just look at Johnny Stanton's numbers because he's the only true fullback they have. Now, again, 18 snaps with a fullback is quite a bit if you have no plans to use a fullback throughout the season. But nonetheless, it's interesting to track, you know, like if we think they're going to eliminate that position because they really didn't use the fullback for the last two-thirds of last year very often. It is interesting to track, you know, how often they're going to use the fullback in the preseason and if that's an indication of what they're going to do in the regular season, uh, considering some of the limitations and personnel differences. Because, for example, the Browns led the NFL in 13 personnel. And they ran 13 personnel, which is one back, three tight ends, one wide receiver, quite a bit in the preseason last year. Ran it, you know, top three in the NFL last year. They didn't run a single 13 personnel snap. So it's it's an indication that they're moving away from it. I do hope that my, my tracking system is able to... Uh, to, to move Felton to wide receiver because I think that gives a better indication of where things are. So you would see an uptick in this scenario from 11 personnel and 12 personnel because he's a true wide receiver. You know, you, you're getting 21 personnel is, is being listed incorrectly because it's including him when it's really actually 11 personnel. So you could probably take eight of those snaps and ship them over to 11 personnel, which does give you an indication that the Browns are going to increase that usage, which de facto, in my opinion, means I think they should be pursuing more wide receiver depth especially given the concerns of Anthony Schwartz, as we know. So um, looking at things here from other data points that I like to collect for you guys, 25 of the 57 snaps were in the gun. So that's about on track for, uh, you know, just under 50% about what they normally do. Only six play action snaps. They're pretty effective on those play action snaps. Uh, dropping a couple nice throws off for gains. They completed four of six play action throws. They completed one of two screen throws for 13 yards. We know screens and play action are a huge part of what the Browns do live in season. They'll continue to do that with Jacoby Brissett, no doubt about it. They had 14 throws of their collective team throws, which in this game, uh, they only threw the football, um, looking here, t- number of 25. 15 of those throws came from under two and a half seconds from snap to throw. That tells you how quick the schemes were. They were running a ton of what I call spacing concepts, which is a three-by-one or three-by-two if they go empty. And the Browns love to motion their running back out of the backfield and into the wide portion of the field to be an empty. But they'll run what's called spacing, which is either a takeoff by number one outside or some sort of... um, you know, hitch concept. It's basically a read. They get a stick route from number th- number two or a speed out. You can kind of read it based on coverage, 
but it's usually what we call it spacing because you're spacing out portions of the field. But to the left side, you get a stick from number three, which is about a five-yard little hitch. You get a speed out or another stick route from number two and a vertical from number three. If it's two by two, you would get some similar portion of that, but a little bit more deviation from the from the outside guy. They ran a couple snaps of what is called Hank concept, which is a two by two, which is hitches on the outside with vertical seam routes by the inside guys. Uh, but but really what they like to pair is what I call stick spacing to the three-man side with a variation of slant flat. In this game, they ran it a lot. I have 12 charted speed uh, speed throw concepts, which again, to me, I label them spacing. And then on the backside, either if it's a two-man backside concept, if they have both guys out, or even if the running back's in the backfield, they dumped one off to John Kelly this way, you can still run slant flat with the back in the backfield to get him out of the backfield. It's just a different alignment point. So they ran that quite often. You probably saw a couple of those that are coming to mind right now to, to Dalen Baldwin. Again, Brown's Brown's wearing a bunch of nostalgic numbers. you got a big wide receiver wearing number 17, bringing back Braylon Edwards vibes, and then you got a quarterback late in the game wearing number 19, and you're like, man, this is a little bit, a little bit weird. You see, like, Rosen on the back of a jersey is a similar number count to letters uh, in the name as Kozar. It's just it's kind of weird. But anyway, and then I, I'm watching 17 make catches in the outside. I'm like, man, yeah, a lot of nostalgia playing hard here on some of the Browns. Uh, performers of the past. But anyway, kind of rounding out other pieces of information that I've seen. And I should note, too, they did run out of the three-man concept that's uh, to the trip side. They did run a couple routes, What's what we call, or what I call back in the day, double China, which is two square-in concepts. Square-ins are usually four yards uh, and, and then flat down the line. Uh, nice little zone beater, especially nice uh, against cover three chasers. But what you get is number three, the guy nearest to the line of scrimmage will run what's called a corner route. So you get two square ends outside, which are nice little, uh, you know, cover three beaters or man beaters. If you can, you can get man to man on this. This is nice, especially if the safety can't be over top. You can get that corner route. So they run um, what I call there. It's two square ends and a corner route over top, and and those are those are pretty much the only route concepts I saw, other than a, a play action uh, stuff where you're wrinkling three different layered routes. Usually, you're getting some sort of stem banana route, which is in and then back out toward the pylon. Some people just call it a pylon route with a drag over top from the backside, and then maybe a fullback who sneaks out into the flat, or somebody is a wing slot position sliding across. So those are pretty much the offense. It was it was super vanilla, as you would expect. It's the first preseason game, and they're going to be pretty vanilla in the preseason anyway because they don't want to give away a lot of things that they really prefer to do. Five penalties in this one on the offense. Actually, six if you include that Jed Jedrick Wills was beat like a drum inside by Trayvon Walker, the first overall pick. Had to hold him. If you recall, that was the play where Deshaun Watson steps up, slides right, and throws on the move. Schwartz drops it. So that play would have been nullified anyway. Uh, as much as we liked it, it was um, tough, right? So... Uh, I, I just I continue to have concerns about Jed being beat inside. Being beat inside was his issue at Alabama at a, as a right tackle, and being beat inside and playing too aggressive outside is his continued issue in the NFL. When he gets beat, it's usually tracking a guy inside or just for some reason giving up on a play too early. Those things have to improve this year. Otherwise, continuing down the line of penalties, you had a couple holding penalties from Ben Petrula who really, really struggled in this game. I mean... Um, you know, I know they, they paid him a decent amount, the Boston College UDFA here. Uh, uh, Petrula is is just, it was as bad a debut as I can recall. Two holding penalties, one on a run, one on a pass, and uh, poor grades across the board, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But his two penalties, and then you had 
Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones on the outside early in the game had a had a holding penalty when the first team just could not muster much uh, success. But um, yeah, that's the other one. And then uh, Michael Dunn had a, a false start on the third drive of the game when Watson was still in, and then Drew Forbes had a, a false start in the second half. So those are your six, technically five penalties that we saw from the offense. They ran 15 outside zone runs, again, expected. They ran seven lead concepts, which lead uh, was was sprinkled into outside zone. They ran a lot of you know, fullback, halfback, outside zone concepts from under center with a lead fullback up inside inserting in different locations. We know that they're a gap team, a lot of gap runs, but they didn't run many in this one. Only three power schemes and two counter schemes. Those are pulling your guards, either pulling them for the play side inside backer or pulling them to kick out. And really, Jacksonville was on top of those pulling schemes. They They covered them really, really well. Six inside zone runs, three split zone runs. They ran a touchdown on a split zone run where split zone means you're running zone up front, but you're taking the backside tight end who's in a winger slot position and splitting him across, and he kicks out the backside end. So they ran that, and then they ran a pin-pull concept where they uh, pinned inside. They had a tight bunch formation. You block down on the edge, pull the tackle out and around, and you pitch it, and you lead around the edge. If they would have had the fullback get to the Mike Backer on that play, that actually would have been a nice one. It went for a two-yard loss, but would have been a nice one. They did sprinkle a play action specifically off of the ideal run action look. I should say it's not play action, run action. So they did that exact concept where they pulled the left tackle, faked the toss. Instead of uh, leading out and around, Stanton slid, slid underneath uh, and out to the flat. And I think he had like a 20, 20, little over 20-yard gain on that uh, easy pitch and catch. That's a nice play action concept. But that's it for the numbers in terms of uh, well, I should say there's one more thing. I apologize. They had 17 plays with motion. So they're usually a little higher there. Not unexpected, but the 17 plays with motion is um, to be expected. It's not going to be a high number in the preseason, uh, but they did use it. They did some of their pre-snap shifting. I include shift and motion in the same realm because you're doing the same things. But if a guy goes from one position to another, I try to track it as motion. So 17 of technically registered 52 plays had motion. So not as high as we normally see. We know Stefanski likes to use motion and shifts to unfold coverage and gain uh, blocking advantages in certain portions of the field, and, and especially to mess with rotating safeties to keep the box count right for run game stuff. So anyway, that's the numbers that we had for the game. We're going to take a quick break, a word from our sponsors, and when we come back, I want to talk about what happened with the first-team offense. I'm going to dig into that a little bit just a moment. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so I want to go through real quick 
how the first team performed and what happened in each of these possessions because I think these have been a talking point and I want to kind of pin down some things for you based on observations that I had for those three possessions, okay? So the first uh, snap, you come out, it's play action. I got to stop saying play action because I need you to understand there's a difference between play action where you get offensive line and sort of pass protection, but you get a backfield uh, run fake. That's not the same as run action. Run action is selling run by doing run-based looking things up front, right? So what I mean is you're pulling a guard or you're selling hard steps inside like it's a zone run concept or duo run concept, right? So we're not seeing that uh, in play action. But this this scheme on the first play was run action, right? They pulled and sold and they sell a counter, look really well. The quarterback has to kind of reverse pivot out, hold down his fake, uh, sell it a long time, and you get a lot of bite. And they did. So they got a front side uh, deep route, right? Layered deep route. They ran that, what I get, again, some teams call that a pylon, where you're angling in toward the toward the numbers and then working back out at an angle toward the pylon. Quarterback's reading high to low. He has that. He has a backside drag from, in this case, it was Anthony Schwartz. Uh, and, and it was not a drag. It's a backside over route. Um, and then you also get a front side delay release flat. So you have three high, medium, low. The issue here is, who was in the wrong spot or, or just, I'm not even sure someone was in the wrong spot. It was just either the tight end was out too late. Um, he didn't get out fast enough to hold down and occupy that early coverage or Schwartz was across too fast. Cause if you watch it from the all 22 view, you will notice that Schwartz is kind of layered in a position that makes the throw a bit more difficult where the defenders kind of half and halfing and Joku in front of him that he can come up and tackle, but is also lingering in a way that Schwartz is kind of, uh, it's just a threat. And I think Watson feels that threat sitting in between. Now you would say, well, why doesn't Schwartz drift deeper? Well, you can't drift deeper because as a wide receiver, you don't know what's coming behind you. A safety could be buckling down and crashing that route. You can't see it. So you have to be conscious of that, right? So the point is like, I think the timing needs to be better. Either Schwartz needs to be slower, uh, selling a little bit more vertical before coming across, or Njoku needs to check release faster to create a bigger window. Nonetheless, it could have still been completed, and I think Watson just airmailed it. I don't think Schwartz ran the wrong route at all. I just think the timing was a little off. And the quarterback's first game since January of 21 is a little juiced up on the first throw. I'm not surprised he missed that. A lot of people got their jokes off, all of that stuff. That's that's fine and dandy. But nonetheless, second play out, they go two by two. They motion Harrison Bryant uh, out of three by one to two by two. Get a little slant flat. It's a quick throw on the slant to Schwartz left into the boundary, and he just drops it. Hits him in the hands. He drops it. Third play out, they run a run concept, very simple power concept that uh, doesn't really you know net many yards. I think it gets four yards, and you're punting. So they come back out, second series after a long Jacksonville series. And you get the first play with Pochich now in at center. You try to run left side. And again, I should touch touch on Nick Harris. That that knee injury is unfortunate, man. He uses that hop technique where he kind of, as a as a lower center of gravity, shorter guy braces and hops and kind of rebraces and hops. It, it's just a, it's a retreating hop that he maintains really well. And nothing crazy happened. It just the knee buckled on him. And it's it's an interesting thing to consider if you use that technique because it is very. Uh, torque based on the knee you're bracing and anchoring a lot not only your own weight but the force of a bull rush or move from a defensive lineman at 300 pounds in front of you um, the knee eventually maybe can't handle all of that and it didn't handle it and now it looks like something's torn and 
you gotta you gotta look at where you go from here. Pozic is the is the logical answer. He got the reps uh, right right away. The first snap out in the second series, there was a bobbled center quarterback exchange. Not uncustomary uh, when you think about going from one center to the next on your on your following series. So they get no gain on that lead uh, lead wide zone concept. And then the next snap out, which is a power, uh, I actually think it was a counter scheme uh, the Browns were running, and uh, the the Jags were doing a nice job of crashing DBs and and kind of overhang defenders and clogging things up inside. Now your answer for that is play action in regular down and distance scenarios, but the Browns are just trying to be sort of generic here. But I don't think Dearness Johnson, the views aren't great of it, but I don't think he ever really has it on the handoff exchange. You kind of in the transition of getting the handoff from his quarterback, he kind of bobbles it on the shift and then gets hit at perfect timing. And then all of a sudden, that's a fumble. That series is over. And then finally, you get a third series where you get a down block duo scheme first. And in that down block, you get a hold from Peoples-Jones. So then it becomes first and 20. You get a very quick timing spacing concept. Again, you get that little hitch route from two and three. Sorry, yeah, from two and three, along with an outside vertical. You get seven yards. You cut it to second and 13. Then you get a false start from Michael Dunn, left guard. So now it's second and 18. And then that's when you get the uh, step up, slide out, right, holding. Because it was really, again, it was Hank Con, or sorry, yeah, uh, Hank concept where they get hitches and seams. And both of those guys up the seams kind of bent it inside. The ball maybe could have been thrown. Uh, against the Jags uh, coverage uh, front. They ran kind of a Tampa two with a middle runner. His back was turned to Schwartz running up the left hash, but nonetheless, Watson didn't have great time because he felt inside pressure to his left. Wills gets called for holding, which doesn't actually get used because as Watson steps up and slides right, he throws the football uh, into the hands of Schwartz and he cannot hang on to it. And again, people are very frustrated as they should be. Someone talked about, well, the ball actually slowed Schwartz down as a complaint method. Hey, man, there was a person, you got to watch it to understand it, but there is a defender uh, kind of cutting off, throwing it perfectly on the run, so you have to throw it inside that defender. There was very little slowdown. There's no reason in the world not to catch that football. It was a great throw given what was in front of him and a glimpse into what Watson can do stepping out of the pocket. And then on third and 18, uh, you don't really have much there. I actually thought the Browns were going to run a screen. It's a very popular screen time for them, uh, but they decided uh, to to just run a very quick, again, what do they like to run? They like to run slant-flat concepts in these uh, scenarios where they have a bunch of, uh, uh, they don't really want to give away a bunch of what they do. So again, third and 18, uh, you get a two-by-two two look uh, from Gunn. They get a dual slant, flat, you get a slant-flat to the left and then two slants to the right side. It's just a basic slant concept here in, he he throws. It's actually a pretty poor throw. I think he should have thrown it to the outside guy, but uh, in this case with Schwartz. But nonetheless, as the Jags are playing, they're they're very vanilla cover three on a third and eighteen from depth. He misses Felton underneath, and then you go one for five with seven yards, and it was a really frustrating run. You know, because usually I would say one thing I'd give Stefanski pretty high credit uh, with things early on in his uh, head coaching career is that. Most of the time in the preseason, everything looks pretty smooth, and and we didn't see. It's it's especially struggle uh, to see. You know, as viewers and analysts of this team, you you struggle to comprehend how they could come out and look so rusty. I almost thought the equation of Jacksonville showed up to play and Cleveland showed up to practice was pretty evident. The Browns' first unit just was passive and lazy, and I didn't really like their total vibe at all. Uh, based on how they they went out with five penalties, six if you include Jed from that group alone 
uh, on top of the drops and everything else. So, um, yeah, I just want to touch on the first-team offense. I think things got better as the game wore on. The second unit looked a little bit more cohesive. It's probably the best word. And then the third unit was fine, too. But you're also going against Jack, you know, Jacksonville's backups and all of that. But credit to the second and third team. I mean, you have to go out and perform, and they performed, and they took it from a situation where the score was flipped, and they took it to 24-13 by the end of the game. So those guys performed pretty well. You definitely need the first group, whether that's Jacoby Brissett-led or Watson-led. We'll see if we get a decision this week by the end of the week uh, before the the Sunday one o'clock kick against the Eagles. But that's, it's just not, it's not something you like to see. I mean, preseason means nothing, but you don't want to be bad. You don't want to play poor. You don't want to be lazy. You don't want to get into bad habits. And I just really didn't like all too much of what I saw from the first team. So we'll hope that flips around again, knowing that it's not the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination, but wanted to touch on it. We're going to take one more break. And then we're going to come back and talk about individual performances from this game and players I thought deserved some some recognition, both good and bad. Okay, so we go through kind of performances, looking at snap count numbers, nothing unexpected. I thought Ben Petrula getting snaps, 46 snaps, leading the offense by 13 snaps was kind of surprising given how poorly he performed. And again, we'll dig into that in a second. Yodi Froholt was 33. Mike Harley, who I some things I liked about his performance, just not necessarily getting the ball, but the routes. The only ones that stood out there was Petrula got that high volume. We didn't see any snaps from Santos Silva, uh, the basketball player turned tight end, that, and he wasn't hurt, so that's an interesting one. Brock Hoffman got 27 snaps at center, the UDFA out of Virginia Tech, while seventh-round pick Dawson Deaton got six snaps at center, so that tells you the status of that situation. Otherwise, I didn't find any snap count numbers to be too you know, uh, wild against expectations. I thought Nakia Griffin-Stewart, who had a great game, should have played a little bit more. Dalen Baldwin, I think those two both earned more snaps. Let's kind of dig into each player Josh Dobbs in this one had the most attempts. He was 10 of 13 in this game, 7 of 9 on throws for 78 yards when he was kept clean. When he was under pressure, he was 3 of 4 for 30 yards with a touchdown. If you remember that little flip to uh, on that play-action roll concept, the running we called that a running back roll where you just kind of stick the ball out, roll toward the back, and try to get that quick fake and dump off, but he actually throws it late. thought he was beyond the line of scrimmage, but nonetheless, a touchdown. 7 of 9 when he wasn't blitzed, 70 yards, and when he was blitzed, 3 of 4 for 38. 3 of 3 on his play-action throws for 46 yards, touchdown. Non-play-action was 7 of 10 for 62. He had one screen completion for 13 yards and 95 yards otherwise. Uh, He was best on short throws where he was 6 of 6, so those are throws 0 to 9 yards. He had 66 yards on those. Uh, Josh Rosen in this one. Had a, a decent overall game, uh, given his time, 5 of 5 when he was kept clean, 52 yards. Again, 50 yards when he was not blitzed. He was 1 of 2 for 4 yards when under pressure. Uh, play action concepts, he had one play action for 12 yards. He was rolling to his left and kind of left it low, but Nakia Griffin-Stewart made a nice shoestring catch on that one. Non-play action was 5 of 6 for 44 yards. And then again, just like as you would expect with sort of these quick throws, as I talked about how many quick under 2.5 time to throw second throws they made. He was 4 or 5 on short throws. Not much going on vertically down the football field. Uh, for real quick reference, Deshaun Watson was 1 of 3 for 7 yards and he was kept clean. 1 of 4 when he wasn't blitzed for 7 yards. Again, he had two 
dropped balls in uh, the midst of those uh, throws as well, which would have changed a significant portion of the outcome. I thought Dobbs played really well. thought he secured, in my opinion, third-string quarterback in this game, and we'll see if they end up carrying three, but he's the backup when Brissett's in, when, when Watson is suspended at a minimum. Receiving grades, Nikia Griffin-Stewart had three catches on four targets, 37 yards, had the highest receiving grade, thought he did a fantastic job, 12 yak yards, uh, thought he brought in some tough catches. Dalen Baldwin also brought in some tough catches in tight windows. I thought that's worth uh, worth noting. He had three of his all three of his catches were in what they deem at Pro Football Focus as contested catch situations. So I really like those. Very strong at the catch point. Caught a nice slant away from his body. A little back shoulder hitch. Uh, he caught uh, back on the back hip. I like that. He had an 86.3 grade. Only 25 yards, but his catches were tough. Again, Jerome Ford feeling really comfortable as a receiver, uh, both sliding to the flat, caught a screen, and then we know I highlighted on my Twitter page, at Jake underscore Burns 18, his catch out of the empty set where he caught a hitch and then made a couple people miss, turned that into a nice uh, yards after catch play where he had 34 yards after catch in this game, which is, I think, exceptional. He had 45 collective yards, most receiving yards on the team, and caught that touchdown ball on that left front part of the end zone on that roll fake we were just talking about. Miller Forrestal, one of two targets for 11 yards. Johnny Stanton caught that that ball in the flat, like I was talking about, that little pin-pull boot concept, 20 yards on a nice dump-off catch. John Kelly had a couple catches in the flat, 14 yards for him. And Joku in his one series caught that little stick route for seven yards. And that's about it. Javon Wims had a hitch for seven, and Jamarcus Bradley also caught a hitch for five. Pretty vanilla. But uh, nothing really stood out other than the people that I have mentioned, Dalen Baldwin and then Nakia Griffin-Stewart going to push Miller Forrest off of that third tight end. That is for sure. We should close with Anthony Schwartz, who gets a 29.9 receiving grade. Uh, he aligned one time in the slot, four times out wide, two drops. And again, to me, it's it's where are we going with him? It's not only – they look – they're like – perplexing looking drops where he just doesn't even look remotely comfortable trying to catch the foot the football and um I don't know I'm gonna give him more time and I think the Browns give him another year but it's hard for me to be really confident right now about where he's heading as a football player and uh he's under the microscope for sure Jerome Ford runs 10 times 57 yards a nice 5.7 yard average really nice balance feel vision for a first game we'll see if he gets more opportunities to get out in space like we saw, but nice, nice speed as well. He had 18 yards after contact, two missed tackles forced, which you love that a touchdown. He did have that fumble on that, that, that catch I referenced earlier, but a 68.9 run grade, which I thought was a pretty strong number. Josh Dobbs ran a couple times. Uh, he had a nine yard rushing number. He ran one time on a scramble. John Kelly ran 10 times for 20 yards, 63.6 run grade. He's fine. He makes people miss four missed tackles forced. I think he's a little bounce prone he likes to get outside a little bit more than I like but nonetheless he got six zone carries four gap carries while Jerome Ford got nine zone carries one gap carry and um, again his receiving stuff was was really strong in this game for Ford to help boost his overall grade too and I think it was such a such a delightful debut for the fourth round running back Dearness Johnson you know couple series three carries had that fumble so he's going to have a really gross uh, number for his performance 29 Point oh rushing grade again, not all too worried about it. Let's talk about offensive line before we close. You know, guys who I thought stood out, Wyatt Teller was really strong in his performance. Um, I thought Blake Hance was really good in his uh, in his efforts. I think there's a pretty secure roster spot for Blake Hance, who continues to get better and better. And I did think Ethan Potsich in his snaps, not a ton, but his snaps were, were pretty strong, especially in pass game where I think he's best anyway. 
uh, pretty strong. Jerome Ford actually protected really well by their metrics. I thought he deserved a shout out there, especially as a pass pro guy. And then, you know, people who on the bottom side of things, I think really struggled. I mean, only five pass blocking snaps for Jed Wills, but again, a missed holding another one on that first snap run action. I thought he was really lazy about where his body positioning was. And if the defender didn't bite on the run, could have easily redirected and handled that situation. Uh, ben Petrula is the one that sticks out. He gives up two hurries, obviously has those two holds, two pressures he gives up, and um, and true pass sets uh, did, gave up one pressure in, in eight of those, uh, a hurry and a pressure in, in eight of those true pass sets. And again, true pass sets something I'll talk about all year because those are pass sets that have um, you know predictable pass situation, third and third and long type scenarios where the defense knows the throw is coming. Michael Dunn could have been better. His true pass sets he gave up. You know, he gave up a couple pressures, uh, a pressure in a hurry, which you don't love to see that. I thought he he actually looked, and I was pretty surprised by this, I was less confident in Dunn than I was in Blake Hance by the end of this one, just in sheer performance metrics. Brock Hoffman, as far as pass protection, handled himself very well in 16 chances, did not give up anything. Drew Forbes didn't give up anything as well, but I just struggle with how Forbes moves. As far as run blocking goes, Wyatt Teller did his thing, as he always does. Only four snaps, but I thought he was strong. And that performance, Blake Hans had an over 71 grade collectively, which I thought was really indicative of how he played. Ethan Poches does a great job. He's a good job zone shielding guy. Now, again, sometimes he gets tossed around like a ragdoll, I wish he was a little bit more um, powerful with the hands when he comes through and tries to get where he needs to go to engage for that split second. But in this one, I thought he was fine. Nakia Griffin-Stewart is the best blocking tight end performance of the day. I don't think that's debatable. Good body positioning, good power at the point of attack. I like that. Michael Dunn blocked better in the run game than the pass game. That much is for certain. And then guys who struggled in run game, Petrula also struggled in run game. Very leaky there. I thought I counted six times where he was a root cause of an issue on a run. Alex Taylor, a big left tackle, number 70, got some some decent pass blocking snaps, but his run game stuff was not very effective. He's too plodding. He does not get his body where it needs to. And as you know, with this scheme, you really have to get your body moving and get in the right position. And it takes athleticism. And that's why we saw uh, Petrula really struggle. I just don't think he looks athletic enough to fit this scheme. Hudson was okay collectively. He did get bull rushed uh, on, on one pass rush right did not like the rep for him at all. Seemed unprepared to handle that bull rush. But for the most part, Hudson, I thought, was fine uh, in this one. I'll be very interested to see if he gets some more meaningful snaps in the next game. But as we expected, uh, we did not see any of Jack Conklin. So uh, Hudson gets a lot of those reps. But but again, was was fine overall. But that's kind of all that stood out to me. And those are player performances, and that's all the metrics I have. That's how your comprehensive offense review is going to go throughout the year. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I'm going to try to dig in more on schemes and stuff as the year goes on and we get into a bit more uh, stuff that is not vanilla, per se, uh, a little bit more uh, tricky in terms of uh, trying to explain to you what's happening. But hopefully laid everything out for you. If you ever want any tweaks to this or you want my opinion on anything, feel free to hit me up and on Twitter or at the OBR and let me know some things that you think would be good for these comprehensive review podcasts. I'll be back tomorrow where I'll talk about the defense, go through that, talk about snap counts, performances, who stood out, who needs to really uh, start making strides to make the roster, so on and so forth. I like doing a status update after the second one. And we'll also keep you apprised this week to who the first roster cut down guys are and, and stuff of that nature, but not a terrible performance collectively the first team was pretty putrid it's kind of a c minus ish performance to me overall that grade lifted 
by the second and third units. You need the first unit with Jacoby Brissett, uh, I think, anchoring them, probably starting this upcoming weekend to be better. So hopefully we can see a little bit more of that. Thanks for checking out today's podcast on your Monday, guys. Have a great day. I appreciate you being here. Check in Tuesday for your defense review, and then we'll start turning the page, looking ahead at Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, looking ahead at what they have coming with joint practices with the Eagles and then that 1 o'clock kickoff, and we'll talk to you about how we're covering all of that at the OBR. So, again, thanks for checking out today's episode. Sorry it's a little late, but some good listening stuff here to understand what the Browns are doing and where they're going and uh, some of the players that are, are worth mentioning at this point. So have a great Monday. Appreciate you. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.